pray with me? God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the chance to worship you. And thank you, uh, God, as we've seen so much in your scripture that, that you don't um, invite us to do that alone. You invite us to do that in community, God. And, and I just am so grateful for my brothers and sisters who love you, who like, like Anna, uh, who, who publicly identify as a follower of Jesus. God, thank you for the privilege of the family of God to witness miracles, to see two lives like, like, like Kira and Vince join together and become one right, right in front of us. And God, it just reminds us of how good a God you are. And we confess Lord, sometimes it's difficult to remember that. Sometimes, and faced with challenges, and I think of the many people who are going through physical and emotional challenges right now, it's easy to, to doubt again, to believe the lies of our flesh and our culture, and, and certainly the evil one, that somehow you are not good, that you don't have our best in mind. But God, then your word speaks into our lives again. You remind us of deeper truths, God, that, that are greater than our circumstances. Deeper truths that transcend the simple uh, vulnerabilities that we experience. Deeper truths of a, of a Heavenly Father who loves us so much that he gave us his only begotten Son. That if we would just put our trust in his work on our behalf, if we would trust in his love poured out on the cross, then we might be delivered from the kingdom of darkness and be brought into the kingdom of light. So God, thank you so much for your word that speaks to us words of life. Thank you so much for your Holy Spirit who prompts us, who convicts us not only of our, of our sin and invites us to life again, but also of right relationships, who reminds us of what is good. So God, as we gather together today, we remember you. And we offer to you the precious words that your Son, our Savior, taught us. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Well, would you open up your scriptures, however you access them, to Colossians. Colossians, you remember um, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Uh, that, that precious book we learned uh, quite a bit about last week uh, where Paul wrote to uh, the community of Colossae powerful truths that uh, speak to us today just like they did two millennia ago. Yeah, thank you for the reminder. If there are other children who would like to join their friends for a special time of worship, uh, they will meet you in the back of the sanctuary right now, and we'll look forward to seeing you at the end of the service. Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Paul, 
an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers. It says brothers in our ESV, but that's that larger word that includes brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Remember when we were studying people of peace, we talked about just the power of proclaiming that. And that's what the Apostle Paul does over us here today. Grace to you, he says, and peace be with you today from God our Father. And then as he often does, he slipped into a prayer. Right, First talking about the prayer, and then as we'll see next week, actually praying for us. He says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, the gospel has come to you as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved uh, fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit, the very Word of God. God. Do you ever find yourself going, "Uh, I know I want to thank you, God, but I have no idea what the Apostle Paul just said. That boy could write long sentences, and and he does. So we're going to take a few moments and just try right here at the outset of our study of this whole book um, to to unpack this greeting, to see uh, the big picture of what the Apostle Paul is asking God for in, in our lives. Let me just remind you that, that, um, that we'll be in this book for the next eight weeks. In fact, if I don't tell you later, next week we'll be in verses 9 through 14 of this same first chapter of um, the book of Colossians. Well, let me just start by saying, let's look at some big chunks and then we'll come back and fill them in. Today I want to talk to you about one pattern, one pattern in three people. Now, you don't have to flip the slide yet for me, Jason, but later we're going to talk about one principle in three paths. And, and even, even later we will talk about one God in three persons. But let's start today by by thinking about the pattern. The reason I want to start with this is because I've been inviting you for years, but but I've been inviting you even especially in our study of of neighbors to think deeply about discipleship. To think deeply about that process by which the faith is passed on from one person to another. It might mean within your family, and it's such a joy to watch you disciple your children and disciple your adult uh, children even. That, that process doesn't end until we stand together with God in, in glory. But, but it doesn't just extend to our families. 
you can, you can um, find a person, a piece who is open to you and open to the Jesus in you. And you can invite them into a process of learning, into a, into a process of growing, into a, a process of becoming like Jesus. And, and I just want to encourage you again that, that right here we get a front row seat on what that looks like. It looks like just names going by, doesn't it? But there's a pattern in these names. You'll remember that the Apostle Paul, on one of his missionary journeys, went to Ephesus, a major Roman city about a hundred miles from Colossae. And, and the Apostle Paul went to the synagogue first, and then he, then he began outside the synagogue discipling people into the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I want to press pause for a second because oftentimes we grew up in an age where we thought that you evangelize non-believers and then, then once they profess Jesus Christ, then you start to teach them. But what we've noticed uh, in God's word is that while evangelism is that process of coming to declare your faith publicly, as Anna just did, discipleship is a lifelong process that begins before you trust in Jesus Christ, brings you to the point of faith, and then uh, surrounds you and upholds you as you grow deeper in that faith. So we have three figures here, right, that are named right before us. The Apostle Paul came to Colossae. Well, how did he put it? An apostle of Christ Jesus, right? Uh, apostle, we've learned, means a sent one. But the Apostle Paul had a unique relationship. Um, I have come to know Jesus by faith. But, but though I will one day stand before him face to face, uh, I've not had that privilege right now. My relationship with Jesus is by faith. The Apostle Paul had a personal encounter with the living Christ. At a time when he was farthest from Jesus, Jesus met him and invited him into this, into this process. And, and it didn't happen overnight. In fact, if you look at it, you'll see somewhere between 17 and 25 years that the Apostle Paul was discipled before he ever went to, um, to Ephesus. But we don't know for sure, but there was um, a young man that the Apostle Paul encountered on his travels, and, and it was a person of peace for the Apostle Paul. And, and he adopted that young man as a son, and that young man's name was Timothy. And what you might not remember is that Timothy ultimately became the pastor of the church at Ephesus. So, so his discipleship process was a lifelong process. But Paul, commissioned by Jesus Christ to take the gospel where it wasn't, found a, um, a, a half-breed of Jew and Gentile named Timothy, poured his life into Timothy. And ultimately, Timothy became the pastor of the faith community in Ephesus. Well, Colossae is 100 miles from Ephesus, somewhere along the line. Maybe when the apostle Paul was still there, more likely when he wasn't, but, but there was a young man, I pronounced his name wrong again earlier, Epaphras, right? Epaphras heard the gospel and took that gospel back home. 
to Colossae, a hundred miles away. And, and Epaphras shared his faith there. He found people of peace, not only in Colossae, but in two other cities. Remember that from last week? Laodicea, which comes back in in Revelation big time. Heropolis. And, and planted faith communities in, in those areas. Not, not by some building campaign or big fundraising thing. No, he just found people of peace, invested in them. And faith communities grew as a result. So I wanted you to see uh, in, in this book of Colossians this pattern. It's a pattern where by the faith is passed from person to person, right? And until communities of faith uh, begin to show up. The pattern is discipleship. And the question that I'm, I usually wait till the end to ask these questions, but I want to just do it right here, is to say to you, um, non-believer or new believer or person who's walked with Jesus for decades, who is your Paul? Who is your Paul, Right? Who is pouring their life into you? Because it's a lifelong process, right? You don't take a correspondence course. Boy, I'm dating myself when I say that, aren't I? Uh, you don't take an uh, online course uh, and, and then all of a sudden you're graduated and your discipleship is over. No, it's a lifelong process. I'm so blessed to have those kinds of people in my life. One of them isn't here, but his wife is sitting right over there. And, and we have for 27 years, um, walk this discipleship process together. Another is in a, is in a uh, residential community a few blocks away, a, few, a couple miles away, uh, and, and he still, at age 88 or plus, um, mentors me. Who's pouring their life into you? <clears throat> and, and the obvious um, question is, if there's not somebody doing that, let's find somebody, right? There's always somebody in the journey ahead of you, but there's always somebody in the journey behind you, right? And so my second question is, is, is in whom are you pouring your life? Does that make sense? Whom are you specifically choosing to pour your life into so that they might come to a deeper faith? Because just like there's always someone farther ahead on the journey, there's also people that are farther behind on the journey, desperately needing you. And you're probably thinking about this time, who am I to pour my life into anybody, right? Uh, I'm, I'm a spiritual pygmy, right? Who am I to pour my life into anybody? Oh, do not underestimate what God can do. It's not about the, the intimate knowledge that you have. It's not about your social skills. It's just about one life blessing another life and inviting them into a deeper relationship with Jesus. So right here, excuse me, right here at the beginning of our um, study of the book of Colossians, we realize that we're all sent. We're all sent by God, right? And, and God never sends us alone. There's always someone to mentor us, and there's always someone that we can mentor. So the pattern here, as in all of Scripture, is discipleship, right? Um, how, did, how did Paul put it later in his, his, his letter to Timothy? He sent two of them to him right 
near the end of his life, right? Um, the things that you have heard from me, he said in Second Timothy 2.2, 2, these entrust to faithful ones who will teach others also. There's a, there's a pattern, and that pattern is called discipleship. Well, um, secondly here, now, again, when I'm, um, when I'm first cracking a passage, I just kind of uh, review it several times. I invited you last week to just, just read through the book of Colossians, start to watch for patterns. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm not sure why I'm choking up here. Um, there, there is another powerful truth right here at the beginning of the book of Colossians. And, and you say, well, this is... A no-brainer. Well, again, it's a no-brainer if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you've walked with him for decades. But, but again, remember, all around you are people whom this is absolutely mind-boggling. It's not just one pattern in three people. It's one God in three persons. Look right here at the beginning of his letter. He notes how all three people of the Godhead, all three persons of the Godhead. I'm going to use that word... Uh, intentionally, because uh, when I think about people, I think of sovereign individuals like Sandy sitting here, Kathy sitting here. I'm, we're all individual people. But, but um, within the Godhead, there is one God evidencing himself in three persons. And, and it is uh, anthropomorphism. It is God deigning to reveal himself in a way that we can understand that he chooses imagery. We can understand Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but make no mistake that that um, the Godhead, three in one, Trinity, is uh, powerfully visible right here at the beginning of Colossians. If you are in your journey or just encountering that concept, it can be confusing. That's why it's wonderful to walk with someone uh, mentoring you and helping you to understand these deep truths. Let me just note one thing. We could spend a um, lifetime uh, understanding, wrapping our brain around Trinity. Let me just remind you of one powerful truth right here, and that is that that God has eternally past and will eternally future exist in community. In community. Now, I already said, you know, He's choosing imageries and, and and language that we can understand, but but why is this that that um, community is so important in the Bible, right? Why is it that the fellowship of common unity is so important? Because that's, that's the nature of God. And so if God has eternally existed and will eternally exist in community, you hear it coming? <laughs> then we were created for a common unity as well around Jesus Christ. Let me put it differently. We were created for community as well. And, and though this is one form of community, of, of us gathering together on the Lord's Day to worship God and to, and to open His Word, um, that God desires that community at every level in your life. That's why we encourage you, find that place where you can love and be loved, where you can know and be known, where you can celebrate and be celebrated. Find that place. Will you find it the very first time? Um, I was talking with my daughter, Maddie, and her husband, Truman, and, and they have moved up to Indianapolis, and, and, and they're, they're 
trying to find that place where they can entrust themselves. They found a church, but they're trying to find that small group where they can, they can uh, entrust themselves and, and experience the, the beauty and the magnitude of Christian community. So right here at the beginning, one, one pattern in three people, one God in three persons. But, um, but there's also here a, a larger picture that I kind of want to spend most of our time here. And that's one principle and, and three, and I was really struggling for a word right here, but, but three paths. Paul says, we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you've heard before in the word of truth. Here's our word, the gospel, right? Which has come to you as indeed in the whole world that is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you. We prayed for you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Colossians 1 three through six. So there's, in addition to a pattern, right, there is also a principle here. And the principle is the principle of good news, right? That's literally what gospel means. The principle is good news. Uh, I always think of Hazel when I when I um, remember First John 5. But this is the testimony. Now, not Paul, but But the Apostle John writes, God has given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. There are myriad expressions of the gospel uh, uh, in in the New Testament, well, even in the Old Testament, the gospel shows up in the book of Job. The gospel shows up everywhere. But, but for the sake of our understanding today, I chose this one expression from 1 John because it makes very clear that at the center of the gospel is a person, right? And it, it's not just a person, but but the gospel centers in a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. Our subtitle for this whole series, I chose the words living into the supremacy of Christ, right? Living into the supremacy of Christ. The theme of the whole letter of Colossians is the supremacy of Jesus Christ. He is preeminent in the gospel. If you have any gospel that is not centered on Jesus Christ, then it is not gospel, right? And as we'll see in the coming weeks, one of the challenges of their community, but also of ours here today, is that false teachers come into uh, the culture and, and they come into our culture as well. And they always try. Here's the way that you know they're false teachers. They always try to remove Jesus from his place of preeminence. Remember last week we noted one way they do that. Jesus plus something else. Right. No, Jesus plus nothing, do you remember that from last week, equals everything, right? Everything. Their purpose in removing Jesus from preeminence in the gospel is to destroy the gospel, the good news, right? It is Christ who died for us. Amen? 
It's Christ who rose again. You, it, you don't have Jesus. You don't have good news. You don't have gospel, right? The gospel message doesn't center on a philosophy. It doesn't center on a doctrine. It doesn't center on a religious system. It centers on a person, a person, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, right? But the gospel also is described here as the word of truth. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. Again, the Apostle John would say the same thing. Your word, he says, is truth, right? That means that, that it came from God and can be trusted. There are so many messages and ideas that can even be called true, right? But only gravity is true, right? Um, but, but only God's word can be called truth, can be called true. So it is, it is the word of truth, but praise God, it's also a message of God's grace. We've talked about this extensively, so I just left the notes in your notes this morning. Remember, justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve, and I need mercy, believe me, from you and from God. I need it. But grace, grace is getting what you don't deserve. And I would add the phrase ahead of time, before you ever knew it. God was offering grace to you, right? Offering to you what you could never earn or deserve among yourself. A living relationship with the living God. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. So the gospel is is a message of God's grace as well. But I love it that the Apostle Paul um, put here as well that the gospel is growing and bearing fruit. Let me stop there for just a second. Uh, Again, he always uses imagery that we can understand, right? Uh, We were at the dinner table last night talking about what our favorite fruit was. We had quite a discussion about whether something was a fruit or a vegetable. But we... um, but what is the nature? Oh, it's so good. Several of us, myself included, landed on peach, right? It is just so good. A good summer peach, right? So there is, there is wonder and beauty and, and taste right there. But the, but the nature of, of uh, fruitfulness in and of itself is that, that when you plant that seed, that one seed grows into a peach tree, and now, well, my dad's backyard, the peach trees got so large that the branches just broke off. There was too many. It's, it, it multiplies 30, 60, 100-fold, Jesus said. So that's what's happening with the gospel. And, and about now you might be saying, well, wait a second. It seems like at least the messages on the news is that the gospel is not growing, that the church is, of Jesus Christ is, is dying Right? Uh, well, where is that message coming from, right? Maybe the particular forms that we have used in the past might be changing, but the gospel is growing and it is bearing fruit. And you are invited to be a part of that. Now, you, you saw there's one more blank in there. I'm, I'm going to expand us beyond just um, Evansville. 
Paul says, in the whole world. He took them outside of, of their own city and said, this gospel is growing and bearing fruit in the whole world. Wow. Wow. Well, I want to I look at one more thing, right? I want to look at, at the mechanism for the way that that happens. The, the path. What path does the gospel take? And I'm, I'm um, blatantly slipping into one of the most familiar passages. I had the privilege of doing a wedding um, a week ago. Uh, and, uh, and I asked, always ask the couple, um, I want to bring God's word into this. How is there a, a favorite passage that you would like to include, right? And, and, um, and the passage was... Um, was 1 Corinthians 13, right? Um, in 1 Corinthians 12, the very end of a major discussion about how uniquely created each one of us are, how uniquely gifted each one of us are, in, in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says gifts are really good and earnestly desire the higher gifts, right? Desire the gift of foretelling God's word, that, that's that word prophesied, and God can give you that gift and that ability to do that. But beyond it, excuse me, beyond how gifted you, you are, and you guys are amazingly gifted, Paul says there's a more excellent way. There's a, there's a more excellent path than even your amazing natural and spiritual gifts, right? What is that way? He tells us at the end of the next chapter. And so these three remain, faith, hope, and love. Help me. But the greatest is love, right? Isn't that amazing? And then, by the way, if you were to continue in 1 Corinthians 14, it's, it's a major Discourse on giftedness. Again, so right smack in the middle of a three-chapter discourse on how generous God is with, with gifts to His beloved, right? Right in the middle of that, He says, I want to I step aside for a second and, and, and show you another way. Your gifts are always going to be important, but I want to show you something even more beautiful. Even more beautiful than your giftedness. And, and, he, and he says, those things are faith, hope, and love. Can I stop for just a second? Because um, those are um, Bible words, right? We use those kinds of words all the time. Um, in fact, we name our churches after it. Um, we, you know, um, those words are very common. And probably somewhere in the back of our minds, we could cough up a, a definition maybe of, of some of those words. But I just want to... Press pause and, and impress on you again the importance of this. And, and, and I guess in my own journey, I was in such a hurry to get to the greatest of these is love, right? Um, that I missed the other ones, right? So let me take them in a slightly different order, right, today. Um, uh, let's start with hope. With hope. I don't know 
anything more challenging than, than when someone loses hope, right? When, when um, maybe their circumstances or something has happened to them or maybe and oftentimes something we did or didn't do, and all of a sudden we lose, we lose hope, right? Um, it sucks the life out of you, right? What is hope? I want to suggest to you, this is just my definition or whatever, but, but I want to suggest to you that hope is a vision. It's a dream, if that word works better for you, of a preferred future, right? So, so um, we're awash right now in, in beautiful dreams that are coming to fruition um, in people's lives. And, uh, and somewhere in there you just get, and it's unique and different for everybody's, but, but somewhere in there you get a, a vision of what life can be like. Um, um, for the longest time, mine was children, right? Um, people, people said when I was young that I was a marriage waiting to happen, but I looked at it differently. Um, I, I was... I was a, a dad waiting to happen. And I shared with you when we um, lost our first pregnancies, first three, uh, how hard that was on me. Um, I just believe that God was um, catching up with me. I was believing the lie that he was cosmic killjoy that wanted to snuff me out and finally got me to that place where my hopes and dreams were alive and we were buying baby furniture and all that stuff was going on, right? And then just in time to, to crush it, right? And, and, and I, I got to tell you, I never stopped believing in God. I just stopped believing that I was going to be a dad. And um, I lost hope. So we moved. We went from the big city to a small island off of the coast of Washington and... Um, and and um, I just stuck my tail between my legs, and I had no faith that that was going to happen for me. Right? <laughs> Praise God. That's why we need community. Amen. Because other people had faith when I had none. Right? Again, I had, my faith was in Jesus Christ, but it just wasn't that. It must have been similar to Abraham and Sarah. You know that it's just not going to happen for us. Right? And so. So um, other people believed when I couldn't believe. Other people prayed when I couldn't pray for that, right? And, uh, and you know the rest of the story, right? God gave us three beautiful children. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Apparently, one time I said God gave me two beautiful children. And all three of my children looked at each other and goes, I don't know who it is, but one of us is ugly. So... <laughs> Um, God answered far beyond what I could have ever hoped for, right? And he continues to answer far beyond what I could ever hope for. So, so um, the hope was good, right? The vision was good. And God is good, right? And so you put those things together and... Uh, and hope became realized. How does it become realized? Well, the, um, the author of the book of Hebrews, in that famous chapter in Hebrews 11, says um, faith 
is the substance of things, help me, hoped for, right? The assurance or conviction of things not seen, right? And we've talked before that oftentimes we have beliefs. Everybody has beliefs, right? That doesn't make them true. A, a, a belief is something that you grab, but a, but a conviction is something that grabs you, right? And so you have this vision of a, of a preferred future, and then all of a sudden one day God grants you this gift, this assurance, this conviction that it is going to be true, right? And you put your full weight on it. Again, when I was um, early, I always, I always preached the same passage on Tuesdays. And, and with uh, one of the bodies that I was preaching to on Tuesday, we have, you actually said, we have faith in the chair that's with us. I know it's a cliche example, but, but it's such a good one, right? You have faith that this pew is going to hold you, right? Not just hold you, but everybody else in the, in the pew, right? And... and um, and it's well-founded. That's why part of the reason we use such big, heavy furniture, right? So you have confidence. You don't have to worry about the chair you're going to sit in, right? But when you put your full weight down on it, I'm so ashamed that I could not do that. Um, 1989 in, in Bainbridge Island, Washington. But the community around me did. My wife did, Right? And as they put their weight down on that, I found it easier to put my weight down on. And we talked about it over and over again. That's why it's so important what you did. Because as you put your weight down on Jesus, other people are watching. Other people are watching, right? So faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, right? And, uh, and so you can see now two out of the three things here, the three elements that Paul said is a more excellent way. Well, what is the last one, right? What is the last one? Love, right? The place that we all wanted to start, um, Paul says in many different places, love is the thing that binds all these other things together. But what is it? There's so many definitions for love out there. Let me just offer you this one, that love is placing the hopes and dreams of another before your own. Before your own. Yeah, because I want you to keep love connected to hope and faith, right? And, beloved, as you begin to put your weight down on who God is and what God has said, come on up, worship team, if you would. As you put your weight down on those things and you gain that confidence that God's word is true and, and trustworthy, then the great invitation of God is for you to love other people by doing that for them. Just as started with one woman, prayed to Chelsea into existence. Um, uh, now I have a whole team of people praying for my grandchildren. Uh, and, and it's just such a beautiful thing. As, as you have that confidence that God is good, then you start loving other people by, by having that confidence for them as well, right? That you have that confidence to love. It's not recklessly. It's, it's intentionally. To love intentionally in Jesus' name. And the Apostle Paul says, this is powerful. This is a powerful truth. Hope, faith, and love are powerful tools. The greatest of these is love. And guess what God says about you? 
I love you. God says about you. He does what I'm asking you to do for others. He does for you, right? The glory of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ is that it comes from a good God. It comes from a good God. So my my invitation to you right at the beginning of our study of this book we're going to go really deep and we're going to we're going to discover amazing treasures over the coming weeks but anchor all of that in the love of god the love of a good god for you and part of that's going to be like me trying to say in 1989 um i'm going to be a good dad right i don't have any children but i'm going to be a good dad me saying in 1986, scary thought, I'm going to be a good husband. God is a good father. So you have to start to put your weight down that. I love the expressions of the gospel. There are myriad expressions of the gospel in the Old and New Testament. But one modern one is one that we sang a few moments ago. It might have snuck by you, but we sang an expression of the gospel. It went like this. I am blessed. I am called. I am healed. I am whole. I am saved in Jesus name. Highly favored, anointed, filled with his power, right? For the glory of Jesus name. That's the gospel. Would you say it with me? I am blessed. I am called. I am healed. I am whole. I am saved in Jesus' name. Highly favored, anointed, filled with your power for the glory of Jesus.